This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. Supreme power. Freedom from external control. Controlling influence. The authority to govern oneself and to govern others. That's how the nations define sovereignty. The word sovereign is believed to come from the Latin word superanus, which means chief or principal. Even though the word sovereign is not used very many times in the Bible, the attribute of God has its fingerprint on every page of God's word, especially the Psalms. This morning, I will tell you about my God in all his sovereignty. For you see, my God is supreme, but not only is he supreme, my God is sovereign. He's autonomous, he is chief. My God is limitless, high and lifted up. My God knows no bounds. He knows all things, he created all things. He maintains all things. All things were created by him and through him and for him. So why would my God fail? He won't. When Moses asked God, when they asked who has sent me to lead your people out of Egypt, my God said, you tell them Yahweh has sent you for I am who I am. Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. This is my name forever. For you see my God was and is and forever will be. He is eternal. He is the first and the last, the alpha and the omega. So why would my God fail? He won't. For my God is the king of the hill. He is unconquerable. He's undefeatable. My God is the chief cornerstone, my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. My God draws draws lines you do not cross, makes decisions to which you submit directs all things by his hands. The psalmist says, clap your hands all peoples, shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the most high is to be feared. A great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. For you see, my God does not fear. He is not intimidated. He does not back down. My God is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, supreme of all the Elohim. So why would my God fail? He won't. Hitler and his hate did not shake him. Putin does not phase him. COVID did not surprise him. The psalmist says, God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. So why would my God fail? He won't. My God holds all wisdom, maintains all knowledge, protects all truth. What my God establishes remains. What boundaries my God draws are not moved. His throne will forever be. 
The psalmist says, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. For my God, you see, sits on the throne in the heavens. He sets his glory before us. The earth is his footstool. My God orders all chaos, strength straightens all that is crooked, directs my path. My God upholds the widow, administers justice, releases the oppressed. For my God has his thumb on all kings, subdues all evil, is victorious over death. For you see, my God brought floods from the heavens to purge all evil, killing all, except for Noah and his family, whom God protected by his hand. My God brought fire down from the heavens, consuming Sodom and Gomorrah to purge evil, killing all, but for Lot and his family, whom God protected by his hand. So why would my God fail? He won't. The psalmist says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. For you see, my God never stops working. He never stops chasing. He never stops saving. My God crushes the head of the serpent, protects all from that which is evil. He saves my soul. My God raises the dead and heals the sick and brings sight to the blind. My God set the sun, moon, and stars in place so that I can glorify him in all that he is. So why would my God fail? He won't. The psalmist says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. For my God breathed into me the breath of life, fashioning me in his image, delegating me rule over all his creation. Empires will crash, kingdoms will crumble, dynasties will fall. So why would my God fail? He won't. The psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. 
be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Did you hear that? Be still. My God says, be still and know me. My God says, stop and experience me. Not just with your head, but with all that you are. My God says, stop building little kingdoms in the sand. Stop grasping for pride or pleasures or power, popularity or passions. They will only crumble before your eyes. Stop trusting in what you think you can do or what you think you can direct. God says, stop and know me and experience me, trust me. So why would my God fail? He won't. I hope your God is my God. As Alistair Begg says, God is a covenant keeping God who is sovereign over all the details of your life. That is the truth and the hope on which to stand. For you see, when all is collapsing, when your world is in chaos, when all your strength is gone, when your body is broken, when your mind leaves you, when sickness comes, when death is at your door, when all have abandoned you, when one day you will transition from this world to the spiritual world, my God will be waiting, having conquered death, to be glorified in all that he is. So why would my God fail? He won't. You will fail. I will fail. So why would my God fail me now? So why would my God fail you now? My God won't. He won't fail. He never will. He's sovereign. Be still and know that I am God. That's my God in all his sovereignty. I hope you know him today. Love you, church.
Good morning, Real Life Church. I'm here to speak on the omnipotence of God. Revelation 19.6 tells us, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And that's the only time you'll ever see the word omnipotent in your Bible. It comes from the Latin prefix omni, meaning all, and the Latin word potent, meaning having great power. Today's Webster's Dictionary would define it as having unlimited power and authority, or we could simply say, in our terms today, all-powerful. And in this scene in Revelation 19, from the four beasts immediately encircling the throne of God to the 24 elders seated in the second circle around the throne of God and then radiating out in every direction, we see the resurrected saints of the Old Testament. We see the resurrected believers of the New Testament and myriads of angelic hosts and they're all saying this, Alleluia for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And there was no one in that heavenly realm who had their eyes anywhere other than the throne of Almighty God. And there was no one among the multitude of hosts who needed to be convinced that God the Father, the great I Am, creator of all things, was omnipotent. Now upon this throne we see a beautiful, pulsating, generating light of power shining forth in every direction. And our God, who is the perpetual source of power and light, doesn't cast a shadow. God the Father is the maker of all shadows that are cast from his presence to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west, up, down, diagonally, in every direction. From everyone and everything he has created, he shines his light. The only description we get of God the Father seated on his throne is in Revelation 4.3, where the Apostle John tells us, and he that was sat to look upon was like a jasper, that's a beautiful green trans transparent gem, and a sardin stone which is sparkling and shining and red. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And I like the way the Living Bible describes it. It gives us a more beautiful description of God when it says, great burst of light flashed forth from him as from a glittering diamond or from a shining ruby in a rainbow glowing like an emerald encircled his throne. Now Jeremiah 10:12 tells us, it is he who made the earth by his power and established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding he stretched out the heavens and the greatest understatement in all of the Bible is found in Genesis 1.16. After God created everything about this earth, it adds, he made the stars also. Telling us God in his creative power not only made the earth in our sun's solar system, but put our sun's solar system into one of millions of galaxies. And as far as we know, these galaxies may fill millions of universes, all of which God created by his power. Now we're told in Romans 1:20, the invisible things from him creation of the world are clearly seen, 
being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And God has surrounded the inhabitants of this earth in such a way that every time that we go out and look to the heavens on a clear night, we should readily acknowledge that there is a supernatural power who has put it all there. And scripture tells it, when we see it, it declares his what? His glory. In the Old Testament, God displayed his power to the inhabitants of the earth in very visible ways. There was a worldwide flood that displayed his power. God humbled the Egyptian empire by displaying his power in plagues and pestilences and fire and hail from heaven, the parting of the Red Sea and then bringing the Red Sea's waters back upon the armies of Egypt. God spoke to the children of Israel from a smoking and burning Mount Sinai. And then he led them into the wilderness for 40 years where he visibly sheltered them by a cloud during the day and by a pillar of fire during the night. And as the children of Israel came near to the land of Canaan, <laughs> the inhabitants of that land were already terrified by the power of our God, power that they had seen every time they looked into the wilderness the past 40 years, power that they heard about with their ears every time a caravan from Egypt came into their land. His power dried up the Jordan River so that the people could cross over. His power toppled city walls with just a sound. His power made the sun stand still. And it was his power that placed the people into the promised land. In the New Testament, God's power is often displayed in a very different way, but it is the same exact power. The night before Jesus' death, when he was confronted by the soldiers, the Pharisees, and the priests, Jesus asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he. Now, just as the name I am of our omnipotent God was used that night by the Jesus in describing who he was, there was an invisible power that laid them all flat on their backs and helpless. Peter picked up his sword. He was ready to fight, but Jesus said, put up the sword into the sheath, the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? And the cup that Jesus was talking about was his dying on the cross to bring salvation into the world. Now, Jesus could have unleashed the power of 12 legions of angels that night, but he didn't. And as a result, it is his power today that brings people who are currently dead in their trespasses and sins to a spiritual rebirth and eternal life. It is a power found in submitting to God like Jesus did. It is power that is designed to accomplish what God is wanting to accomplish in this crazy, mixed up, confused world. It is a power that is found in the name of Jesus. And we as followers of Jesus Christ, I can't emphasize how important it is that we understand this power. It's not always openly displayed today, but in the New Testament times in which we live, it often moves like an invisible wind, hoovering over people and then coming down upon people, which brings the power of rebirth along with the power of the resurrection to come. Now in John 14, 17, we're told even the spirit of truth 
whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So what does this mean for us today here at Real Life Church? It means that there is an omnipotent power dwelling among us and dwelling in us. This power enables us to love those who hate us. This power enables us to forgive those who have trespassed against us. This power enables us to have patience with those who are not yet getting what is going on with us yet. And that's speaking of the power that has changed us. This power multiplies the power of our prayers. This power unleashes us from worldly influence, from demonic influence, from our lust, from our anger, from our anxiety, and from our fears. And this power, if it is truly residing in us, will chip away at our old man and make us into a new creation fashioned into the image of who? Who? Jesus. The same Jesus who told us when he was leaving this earth, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth telling us there is a power in the name of Jesus. That power cannot be found in Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Scientology, nor any other religion of the world. There is a power in the name of Jesus, Real Life Church. There is no other name. There is no other name. There is no other name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for being the conduit to bring the omnipotent power of God into us today. We can't ever thank you enough, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.
Amen. Are we having fun yet, church? Yeah? I, I don't know. Freddie T is back in the house this morning. I, I think we should, like, keep this going two more weeks. What, what do you think? Two more weeks? All right, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Uh, how, how are we doing, church? Are we good? Good? Good, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the word good. We're talking about God is good or God is tov. The, the word good gets thrown around so much these days that it's been watered down to mean not a lot, right? We talk about life is good, or we talk about good things come to those who wait, or good things come in small packages, or hey, did anybody see the new Barbenheimer movie last week? How, how was it? Oh, it was either good or not good, right? And uh, maybe you're like me. Maybe you went to camp growing up. Anybody ever hear this? And you heard, God is good and all the time. That's right. We throw around this term a lot. And my fear is that sometimes it can get watered down. But I think we need to get this one right. Because think about this. As we go through all these attributes, nine so far, hopefully more to come, we need to see how they all go together. I mean, let's be honest. Can you imagine a God that is omnipotent, who can do whatever he wants, but isn't good. Can you imagine that? Well, we kind of can, right? Like Thanos can literally snap half of you out of existence. That's a, that's a God that is powerful, but is not good. Or can you imagine a God that is omnipresent, can be everywhere all the time, but is not good? That would be kind of terrifying as well. All these attributes go together so we have to really drill down on this word good because believing in the goodness of God is actually what allows us to trust him with things both big and small. So how does scripture talk about the goodness of God? Well, because I think we've watered down the word good, let's talk about the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is a word called tov. And I'm just gonna put some verses on the screen and you're gonna see that we've literally put in the Hebrew word here. Starting in Psalm 119.68, it says this, you are tov and you do tov, teach me your statutes. Or in Exodus 33:18 and 19, which has already been mentioned this, uh, this morning, Moses says, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my tov pass before you and will proclaim you before my name, the Lord, which is Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And scholars talk about how because of this passage now, the name of Yahweh, the divine name of the Lord is inextricably tied in with his goodness, with his tov. But it doesn't start th stop there. We are invited into God's tov. Here are two examples. 
In Psalm 73, 28, it says, but for me, it is tov to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell, I may tell of all your works. And Psalm 34, eight says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is tov. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You say, okay, Tim, we get it. Like God is great. God is tov. But what does that really mean? What does the Hebrew word tov mean? This word is an explosive word in scripture, bursting with meaning. And to talk about that, what God is tov, commentators even struggle to come up with what that means. Um, some would talk about the way that God created his creation shows us a reflection of his goodness. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Scott McKnight that talks about Genesis 1, and he talks about if you want to know what Tov is, look at the creation story on the first page of the Bible. Listen to what he says. Tov is God's artistic evaluation of all he did. In other words, perfect, excellent, just as we wanted. Put differently, Tov is about beauty, aesthetics, excellence, what pleases our senses of sight and sound. Like a well-played piano, a coordinated golf swing, the right word for the right situation, a European cathedral that stands above all structures and beckons us to come pray and worship, a beautifully arranged dining room, a well-organized event, a jolly beagle following its nose across the lawn, all Tov. Tov suggests what is visually pleasing and pleasant, what is desirable, what is of high quality, and what is excellent. When everything is in its place, doing its proper task, we say Tov. God is Tov, and every time he gives us something, it's good. Uh, any good gift givers here? I'm, I'm like really hit or miss. Like I'm either gonna give you the best gift you've ever had, or on Christmas Eve, my printer is gonna be going and printing off an Amazon gift card for 20 bucks. I'm not lying, right? Like I'm, I'm either one of those two, very few in between. Years ago, I had read an article talking about if you wanna be a really good gift giver, uh, there's some things that you need to think about. And this actually kind of messed me up because I went too deep in this. Um, and the, the article said the perfect gift has three different things. Number one, it's appropriate. In other words, it's not too little so as to be cheap, but it's not too much so as to spoil. The second one is it's often surprising. It's something that when we get it, we didn't even know we needed it or wanted it. It's something the receiver would not have picked out for themselves, but once they get it, they love it. And then the third thing is it's reflective of the giver. It shows something of the nature of the gift giver, so much so that when they see the gift, they can't help think of the one who gave it. Now, some of you will know what I mean. If you've ever gotten someone a gift like this, like it just comes to your mind and it's like, there's nothing more exciting, right? You're like, I, I'm gonna give this gift. The whole, it is better to give than to receive comes alive when you find a gift just like this. Why does this matter? I want you to think about this. James 1.17 says, every tov gift, every good gift and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Listen, when it comes to God, God in our relationship is always the giver. Matthew seven eleven, 
Jesus says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If James is right and Jesus is right and they are and God is the best gift giver of all time, this changes everything. Because God gives us gifts that are always appropriate, not too much, not too little. He gives us things that we often didn't know we needed, but he knew and his gift will always, always be a reflection of who he is. And who is he? He is good. He is Tov. God is Tov and Tov is God. What does that mean? It means that there is someone here this morning that somewhere along the way in your life, something came in that was not Tov. You looked at this and you're like, that is not good. And what did you, we do? We looked at God and we blamed God for this not good thing in our life. And I wanna tell you something, God is not the author ever of evil, but he can redeem it. He is our redeemer. He can and does redeem the bad things in our life for our good and his glory. And today you need to hear this. God is good all the time. Don't let that just become a, camp cliche saying because when you believe this it changes everything it means that you can trust him that he is the giver and he wants your life to be tov because it comes from his nature which is perfect tov perfect goodness this means that you can trust him in every decision that you make you can actually say tomorrow morning when you wake up what would someone like me on a Monday morning do if I knew that my God was omnipotent, if I knew that he was sovereign, if I knew that he never failed and he is good and he is for me, what would a person like me do today in this situation? How would a person like me give? How would my generosity grow if I believed that God was all these things and he was good? How would my life change if I trusted him and I obeyed him with every part of my life because I knew that the things he had for me were tov, that they were good. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Let's pray. Father, you are so, so good. And may we never just take that for granted. May we never let that lose its meaning. Your name is sweet. Your kindness, Lord, leads us to repentance. And Father, we confess today, so many times we, we disobey, which basically says that we don't believe in your goodness. We confess that this morning. Father, we pray that you would remind us of every one of the attributes that we've talked through and that it changes us the areas in our life that we haven't trusted you with this morning, we wanna lay at your feet and we trust you because you are so, so good to us. Father, we love you and we praise you. It's the name of Jesus we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real, keep it Jesus.